Open your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 1, and we're going to start reading in verse 23, just one verse right now, 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 23. The Bible says, "...being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible, by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever." Let's read this together. You ready? "...being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible." by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the opportunity to gather in this place. Lord, thank you that we've had the opportunity to add the overflow and that there are people worshiping in other rooms right now here in the church. Lord, thank you that we we have that need, that your word, it's still effective. It still changes lives, that we're still having the opportunity to reach people. But Lord, most of all, thank you for your word, because we'd know nothing about you and what you have for us without it. So, Lord, as we look at this subject this morning, I pray that we'll have your mind and that we'll be better prepared to defend your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. You can be seated. Our study that we have had through the month of April is Why Believe? Why Believe? And the premise of the study is, if you can answer these four questions affirmatively, then Christianity is true. And they are, those, those questions are, is truth knowable? Does God exist? Are miracles possible? And is the New Testament reliable? And we're going to do a little bit of a review uh, so that if some of you haven't been here before, then you can get it. And then repetition is God's volume control. Repetition is God's volume control. My father uh, attended Bob Jones University before he went to Baptist Bible College. And he'd quote Dr. Bob. Dr. Bob had gotten old. Bob Jones Sr. had gotten old by the time that my father was there. And he'd lean on the pulpit, and I guess he had a real rough voice. And he'd say, some of you folks think I repeat myself because I'm old. I repeat myself because you ain't got it yet. That's what Dr. Bob would say. My dad would quote him constantly. And repetition really is the key to learning, isn't it? Repetition is the key to learning. So let's review just briefly where we've been. Is truth knowable? Is truth knowable? If there is no truth, then the Bible can't be true. Is that fair? The Bible says in John 17, 17, sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. So if there is no truth, then of course the Bible can't be true. So let's see if that is true. So if someone says there is no truth, what should you say? Come on. I'm going to have to start over. If someone says there is no truth, what should you say? Is that true? Because if the statement there is no truth is true then apparently truth exists and that statement has to be false. It's just, it's self-contradictory. It, it can't pass the internal test. Then it's a self-defeating statement such as, I can't speak a word in English. My parents had no children that lived. Right? The, the, things like that. My brother is an only child. That's one of my favorites. My brother is an... They're self-defeating statements statement like, that's true for you, but not for me. Well, is that true for everybody? No. So it can't be a true statement. Truth is relative to one's culture. Is that true in every culture? Can't be true. So there are so many things like that. It's obvious that if a statement can be made that is factual, then truth does exist. And if truth does exist, then is it knowable? Can you know the truth? Well, Jesus gave us the answer to that, right? John chapter 8, you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. Truth is knowable. Then does God exist? Does God exist? And of course, we've proven that cosmological argument, the world exists and everyone knows that, that matter cannot create itself because it would have had to exist before it created itself. It's a self-defeating argument. Again, and we also know that that matter can't be eternal or it can't be infinite because if there were an infinite number of processes to get to this point, this point would never have come because infinity goes on, would go too far in the past. It doesn't work. And so what we come up with is that whatever caused the world, and it can't be natural laws because every physicist will tell you that at the singularity, at the beginning, the laws of nature break down. So the laws of nature cannot cause the laws of nature. Is that right? So somehow something that is timeless, immaterial, and powerful had to create the world. Timeless because it had to be before time. And immaterial because matter can't create itself. And powerful because it would take a lot of power to create everything out of nothing. And then it must be personal 
because immaterial forces do not choose. The illustration would be gravity. Gravity's not choosing to hold some of you down and not others. Right? People will be popping up all over the place. Gravity doesn't choose. It's a force and it, it is impersonal. And so what we discover is that however the earth was started, it had to be by something immaterial, timeless, personal, powerful. Doesn't that describe the God of the Bible? Absolutely. And the God of the Bible is the only God that has ever been presented that matches what we can know without ever having seen a Bible. And so God does exist. Truth exists. God exists. Are miracles possible? Well, the greatest miracle that ever happened was the creation of the world. And if that can happen, then anything else is possible. The argument against miracles, the, the most uh, popular argument against miracles, was by the philosopher David Hume in the 1700s. And men like Richard Dawkins or Christopher Hitchens and others would still uh, try to support the, his arguments today. And his arguments have been roundly defeated, and we looked at that last week. Just briefly, basically what Hume said was that a wise person will believe that which has the greatest, for which there is the greatest evidence. A wise person will believe that for which there is the greatest evidence. There is little evidence for miracles, and so a wise person would believe that miracles can't happen. The only problem with that is the, the greatest thing that everyone believes in, the fact that the earth is here, that's a singularity. It only happened one time. It only happened one time. How did it happen? We don't, have, we don't know. Evidence-wise, they can't tell you. We can tell you God did it. Is that right? And so we know that those singularities, those things that happened one time, are believed regardless of the evidence against it. The chances of the world existing as it does, are they are so minuscule as to be deemed impossible. It couldn't have happened. There is not a chance that by chance... The world exists. It can't, it, it, it's impossible. That means it had to have a cause. And who is that first cause? By reason, by logic, by science, we understand it is the God that is represented in the Bible. God does exist. Miracles are possible. Is the New Testament reliable? By looking, you can prove that God exists without ever looking at the Bible. All right, we've done that over the last few weeks. So now, if God exists, how do we know that, it's not some kind, that He is not some kind of deistic God? Remember what the deists believe, that there is some kind of being that created the world, but then He just took His hands off it, let it go. He's not interested in what goes on. Well, we know, according to Christianity, that God entered time and space, that God took on a body, was born of a virgin, lived a sinless life, died on the cross for you and for me, was buried, and then three days later rose from the dead, proving that He was, is, and always will be God. That is the story of New Testament Christianity. How do we know that the accounts of that are reliable? Let's start here. What does the Bible claim for its contents? Or what does the Bible, what does the truth claim that the Bible makes about its contents? Get your Bibles. And let's go through what the Bible says about it. Look at Psalms chapter 12, the 12th Psalm. What does the Bible claim for itself? Look at verse 6. The words of the Lord are pure words, as silver tried in a furnace of earth, purified seven times. So what does the Bible claim for itself? First of all, that its words are pure. The words are pure. And they're not like ivory soap. Was it 99 and what is it? Seven-tenths pure, is that what it was? 44 one-hundredths. Thank you, Brother Farrier. He was there when ivory soap was invented, so he remembers these things. 99 and 44 one-hundredths pure. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible is 100% pure. The Bible is completely pure. The words of the Lord are pure words as silver tried in a furnace of earth purified seven times. Now, put a marker there in Psalms 12 because we're going to come back there. Go with me to Psalm 119. Of course, the 119th Psalm is all about the Bible. And isn't it interesting that the longest chapter in the Bible is about the Bible? Look at Psalm 119, verse 140. 
Thy word is very pure, therefore thy servant loveth it. Thy word is very pure, therefore thy servant loveth it. The word of God is pure. It's true. These words, you can count on them. They're pure words, no errors, only perfection. That's what the New Testament or that's what the Bible claims for itself. Not only are they pure words, but they are preserved words. Preserved words. Go back to Psalm 12. Verse 6 again, Psalm 12, 6. The words of the Lord are pure words, as silver tried in a furnace of earth, purified seven times. Thou shalt keep them, O Lord. Thou shalt preserve them from this generation forever. Do you see that? Thou shalt keep them, O Lord. Thou shalt preserve them from this generation forever. They are preserved words. God has promised to preserve His words. So what does the Bible claim for itself? The Bible claims that... First of all, its words are pure. Secondly, that its words are preserved. What does that mean? It means that God has supernaturally preserved His words so that you may hold them in your hands. That's what the Bible claims for itself. You can rest in them. You can trust them. You can obey them. You all agree with that? Amen. So if we begin, they're pure and they're preserved. What else does the Bible claim for itself? That they're permanent. That they're permanent. Look at Psalm 119, verse 89. This is one of those messages that I preached at a fellowship meeting years ago and Brother Bob Nolan back there. He said, Alter, I could preach a whole series from one of your sermons. <laughs> Apparently, I had preached too long. <laughs> he said he could preach five from one. That may be one of these this morning. I ought to go longer just because Brother Bob's here. I think that that would be a blessing. All right, so look at their permanent words. Psalm 119, look at verse 89. Forever, O Lord, thy word is settled in heaven. Here's the blessing. This is the blessing. It doesn't matter what happens on earth. It doesn't matter who the king is. It doesn't matter what country you're in. It doesn't matter. It's so important that we get this. God's word is settled outside of this dimension. And God remembers what He wrote. And so God can supernaturally preserve the words that He chose to inspire. It's very important that we get that. Thou shalt keep them. They're preserved. They're permanent. Thy word, they're permanent words. Thy word is settled in heaven. Look at um, Psalm 119 and look at verse 160. Permanent words. Thy word is true from the beginning. Now, here's why that's so important. I'm sure most of you have that verse marked from our True From the Beginning series. Thy word is true from the beginning, and every one of thy righteous judgments endureth forever. What does that mean? God's not changed his mind. Isn't that good? We don't have to worry about God changing what he wants us to believe or do. It's settled. It's settled. But what I love about this is thy word is true from the beginning. What does that mean? Genesis 1.1 is true. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That's true. There are Christians today who don't believe that that's true. Well, they disagree with the Word of God because the Bible says that it's true from the beginning. And what does the beginning say? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The Bible is true. It's settled. His words are permanent. Look at Isaiah chapter 40. When I was in fourth grade, we had a Bible conference and... My father had a pastor friend. He was in Wallingford. We were, he was pastoring in Wallingford, Connecticut. He had started a church there. And he had a pastor friend named Al Gerard who pastored in Connecticut, and he brought him in to preach a Bible conference for us. And he was a young pastor, and I thought he was really cool. He kind of had the Elvis hair, you know. I thought he was really cool. And his wife, Sue Gerard, I was in fourth grade. I thought she was the prettiest thing I'd ever seen in my life. And she would sing. She'd play the piano and sing. And she sang a song. She had put this verse, Isaiah chapter 40 and verse 8. She had put this verse to song. So when I was in fourth grade, I don't know if it was because she was pretty or if the truth connected with me. This was the verse that I chose that would be my life's verse, the verse that, that I would lean on. And look at what it says, Isaiah 40 and verse 8. The grass withereth, the flower fadeth, but the word of our God shall stand forever. 
They are permanent words. And I love this. This is one of my favorite truths. And that is, you know, when the Bible was written down, it was written down on papyrus. And what papyrus is, it's a stalk of grass that grows alongside the river. And they would take that, and you all learned this in school, they would take that and they would flatten it out, they'd mash it together, it would dry and it became a kind of paper. All right, papyrus. And they would write on papyrus. It was basically grass. Now, of course, that didn't last very long. And so the original manuscripts have been gone for a long time. The original documents have been gone for a long time. But here's the beauty of it. That didn't surprise God. Can you imagine God? He said, oh, man, if I had only known that stuff wouldn't last, I would have had him write it on something else. (laughs) No, God knew exactly what was going to happen with those original documents. And look at what it says. The grass withereth, the flower fadeth. That papyrus would wither. It would go away. The flower, it's going to go away. But the word of our God shall stand forever. The medium on which it is written is not important. The words themselves are supernatural. They're inspired. They're preserved. And we can read them and hold them and live by them today. As a matter of fact, Jesus Christ said that at the last day, it's not me that's going to judge you. It's the words that I have spoken. They will judge you. That means that his words will be preserved at least until the judgment day. And so that we can trust those words. We have them. We can believe in them. They're permanent Words In the midst of all this decay, God's word remains. You can trust it with your life. So not only, not only are they pure words, preserved words, permanent words, they are precious words. Look at Psalm 119 again. What does the Bible claim for itself? Psalm 119. Look at verse 47. The Bible says, And I will delight myself in thy commandments, which I have loved. Do you love the Word of God today? His pure words, they are precious to us. When we spend time in God's words, they become even more and more precious. Because here's what happens. The older you get the more true God's words become. It's, it is amazing what God does. I wish I had the verse, you know, how many of you saw that Prince died? You saw that Prince died? Man, and the world is celebrating him, and he was as immoral and wicked a man as has lived. It, and it's just amazing. But the same day he died, a great preacher died, 95 years old. One died at 57, the other died at 95. And there's a passage that says, this day, uh, what is it? Second, look at 2 Samuel 3.38. I'll show you something. It's just funny when stuff like this happens. 2 Samuel 3.38. Second Samuel 3.38. And the king said unto his servants, Know ye not that there is a prince and a great man fallen this day in Israel? (laughs) You know, that Bible, that that passage is not talking about the artist formerly known as the artist formerly known as Prince. (laughs) And it's not talking about this preacher that died. But it's so fun when the Bible, you know, if you get tired of the presidency, there's a passage that says it's a, it's a psalm. It's an imprecatory psalm, and that is where you pray against someone. And it says, let his days be few and another take his office. You know, there are all kinds of verses in the Bible that you can take and have fun with. That's not what we're talking about. Do you know what happens? The, Bi- the Bible, the promises that we find in the Scripture, the truth the righteousness, the wisdom that we find in the Bible. The older we get, the more we learn, the more life we experience, the more we realize that His Bible is true and it just becomes so much more precious to us. And then all the young people are thinking, precious. No, we're not talking about that. All right. 
But it really does. They are, they are precious words. And not only are they precious words, but they are preeminent words. And I think if there's anything that is plaguing Christianity today, it's a low view of God and a low view of His Word. A low view. The, th- the statements people make about God are blasphemous. And the view they have of the Scriptures, that many people do not trust the Bible that they hold in their hands. They don't necessarily believe it. And you know that by statements like this. I know the Bible says that, but I think. I know that that's what it says, but I believe. That's a low view of God. We need to have a preeminent view of the words of God. Look at Psalm 138. Psalm 138, look at verse 2. Might as well sing verse or sing. Might as well read verse 1, Psalm 138, verse 1. I will praise thee with my whole heart. Before the gods will I sing praise unto thee. You know, people have a lot of different gods. See the small g? There's only one true God. So in the midst of all that, I will sing praise unto the one true God. Verse 2, I will worship toward thy holy temple and praise thy name for thy loving kindness and for thy truth. For thou hast magnified thy word above all thy name. Now, how many of you recognize the Bible says, Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain? You ever heard that? Right? How many of you think that's important, that his name is important to him? Absolutely. But according to the Bible, we know that God cares about his name, but according to the word of God, if this is his name, this is his word. He has magnified his word above all his name. And now look at the way that it says that, above all thy name. Do you realize how many different names of God there are in the Bible? Wonderful, Counselor, Prince of Peace, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Jehovah. All of these names for God, and we could go on for a long time, every one of those names of God. He's magnified His Word above it. And we need to understand that these are preeminent words. How could we ever overemphasize the importance of the Word of God especially to the Christian. Now, if the Bible is our sole authority as the believer, we have to submit to it. Is that fair? This is our only guide for rule and practice. If you ever wonder why we do certain things, why we baptize the way that we do, why, we, we, why our church functions the way it does, it's because the Bible is our authority. There's no outside organization that has authority over Grace Baptist Church. It is an autonomous body because, that means it's self-governing, because the Bible is our sole authority. And if this church, if, if I as pastor choose to do something with Grace Baptist Church and the ministries of Grace Baptist Church that violate the Scriptures, then it's the church's responsibility to hold me in check, to hold me accountable as pastor to the Word of God. Because the pastor is not the sole authority of Grace Baptist Church. The Word of God is. And I must submit to what this says. Amen? So, amen? Amen. Amen. In the overflow, amen? Amen. (laughs) That's awesome. I love that. So we have to be sure that we understand what the Bible says about itself. And, of course, it says much more than what we've gone over today, but that's a taste of it. So it says that, but how can we know that it's reliable? How can we know that it's true? I want to give you certain words. They all start with E that will help us to establish this. The first is early testimony. Early testimony. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Why should we believe that the New Testament is reliable? Because of early testimony. What are we talking about? Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 15. There are people that are a lot smarter in language than I am, which is not saying a lot. Um, And by studying this text, they've given us some interesting information. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 3. For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received. All right? So the Apostle Paul delivered something to the church at Corinth that he had received from someone else. Is that fair? Is that a fair reading of the text? Right? All right. What is that? 
For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that He was buried, and that He rose again the third day according to the Scriptures, and that He was seen of Cephas, that's Peter, and of the twelve. After that, He was seen of above five hundred brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain unto this present, but some are fallen asleep, and that He was seen of James, then of the apostles, and last of all, He was seen of me also as one born out of due time. Now, the content of that statement, which is the gospel. What is the gospel? Let's say it together. The death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ according to the Scriptures. The construct of this has been traced to around 40 A.D. Jesus died around 33 A.D. And so here in the book of 1 Corinthians, which was probably written around 60, between 60 and 64 A.D., which is still very close to the resurrection of Christ, you have a, an eyewitness account of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ that was believed by early Christians. This is early testimony, all right? So there is early testimony. Then there is not only early... Now, you understand how important that is. Some people say that, that what we believe wasn't um, identified until the Council of Nicaea in 325 or the Second Council of Nicaea in 425. That's completely false. We have it from 40 A.D. what we believe, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Do you see the significance of that? So this is early testimony. It doesn't matter what the Da Vinci Code says. Dan Brown was completely confused and completely wrong about the history of Christianity. He was right about the history of Roman Catholicism. But that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about the early witness that would have been way before 425, all the way back to 40 AD. Early testimony corroborates the testimony of the New Testament. Then, letter B, eyewitness testimony. Eyewitness testimony. And I just have to do this quickly. But in the book of Acts, there are 84 specific eyewitness details from chapter 13 through chapter 28. 84 specific eyewitness details that corroborate what the New Testament church was teaching, the early church was teaching, and that's, that is eyewitness testimony about the truthfulness of the Scriptures. John, the Gospel of John, 59 specific eyewitness details that corroborate the rest of the Bible. And it's vital that you get that because the Gospel of John, according to John 20, 31, says that these are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ and believing you might have life through His name. What were they believing? Eyewitness testimony. Detailed eyewitness testimony about the Lord Jesus Christ. So there, is, there are 84 details in the book of Acts and 59 details in the Gospel of John. And on eyewitness testimony, we could go on and on and on, but let's, let's move on. So early testimony, eyewitness testimony, and then elaborate testimony. Elaborate testimony. The details that are given in Scripture that give us historical information that was not available anywhere else in the world, but it's accurate. An example that we've used before. I'll use it again because it's a good one. Remember when David committed adultery with Bathsheba, her husband was Uriah the Hittite. You know what I love about Grace Baptist Church? When I do that in churches where I preach other places around the country, I'll say, Uriah the... And they look, I love it that you guys are, you're biblical. You know what the Bible says. Uriah the Hittite. Now, all the way up until, I think it was the mid-1800s, the Bible was mocked by skeptics because we have this group of people identified called the Hittites, and, and they have a significant place in Scripture. But they weren't found in any other place. There was no historical record of the Hittites anywhere else until they discovered the Alexandrian Library. And what they found was the Hittites had been conquered and all evidence of their existence had been wiped out except for a record of them in the Alexandrian Library. Oh, and in the Bible. Elaborate testimony. And we could give you example after example after example. And this is what you really need to get this. The historicity, that is the historical accuracy of the Bible. Let's all say that word together. The hit, see, you can go to work tomorrow and really show off. We were looking at the historicity of the Bible. Why don't I look at the historicity of your hairdo today? <laughs> historicity. 
the historicity, the historical accuracy of the Bible is beyond dispute. It is historically accurate. There, there is not one example in the Bible. Remove the miracles because I know people can test those. But the historical statements of the Bible have never been proven false. Isn't that a blessing? You can trust the Bible that is elaborate testimony. This is a really good one, though. So we've looked at early testimony and eyewitness testimony, elaborate testimony. Let's talk about embarrassing testimony. If you were going to write a fictional religion, if you're going to make something up, would you make yourself look good or would you make yourself look bad? You make yourself look good. Now, some of you hate yourselves, and that might be different. Most people are not like that. Most people, if you're going to make something up, you're going to be the hero of your own story. Embarrassing testimony, what historians look at in an account is embarrassing testimony verifies the truthfulness of the account because people will usually not disclose their errors, right? So if I had you give a testimony today, there are a bunch, there's a bunch of stuff you're going to leave out. And the people said, Amen. how many of you are glad we don't know some things about you? Would you raise your hands? Okay, we do a video. We're going to track all of this down as we go on. All of us have things that we would not want to know about. Let's look at some of these embarrassing elements. The first one is they admit that they were dull. They admit that they didn't understand what Jesus Christ was saying. They admit that they missed the cornerstone of His teaching. Let's look at an example of this. Go to Luke chapter 18. Verse 31, Luke 18, 31. Then he took unto him the twelve and said unto them, Behold, we go up to Jerusalem, and all things that are written by the prophets concerning the Son of Man shall be accomplished. So Jesus is telling them, Everything the prophets prophesied about me, I'm going to accomplish it. Verse 32. And he shall be delivered, speaking, Jesus speaking of himself, and he shall be delivered unto the Gentiles, and shall be mocked and spitefully entreated and spitted on, and they shall scourge him and put him to death, and the third day he shall rise again. And they understood none of these things. Okay, so I am an apostle. Imagine I'm an apostle. I know that that's hard to believe, but just stretch your thinking for a minute. Imagine that I'm an apostle, and I am the foundation of the church. The Bible says they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. So the, 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 what I am going to say is going to be the foundation of what you believe. And one of the most important things you need to know is, uh, I, Jesus said it and I missed it. How about Peter? How about the leader, Peter? The, the one, Peter, James, and John, they are, the, they are the ones who are considered the inner core of Jesus Christ. And Peter, Jesus said to him, get thee behind me, Satan. Now, can you imagine if it's a fake story? They're saying, hey, let's put this story together. And, okay, so now Jesus is going to call you Satan. Peter says, hey, call, call you Satan. I don't want him to call me Satan. Making this up, it wouldn't make any sense. You see, embarrassing testimony, embarrassing testimony. They admit they were dull. They didn't know what Jesus Christ was talking about. How about this? They admit that they were uncaring. At Jesus' hour of greatest need, when he asked them to pray with him in the garden, they went to sleep. And he woke them up, and they went to sleep again. They were uncaring. Is that the way you're going to describe yourself if you make up a story? No, no, no. Embarrassing testimony. And then, how about this? No effort to bury him. Who buried him? Joseph of Arimathea. Who was there to help? Women. So if you're going to write a story and make it up, the foundation of it is, we really want you guys to follow us, but remember, we're cowards. Embarrassing testimony. They all ran away. Who are the only people that stayed? The women. Think about the culture back then. So here's, here's a guy after the resurrection. And he points to this guy. He says, hey, look at that. That's Jesus. That's Jesus Christ with his disciples. Do you see that? And he said, no, it's not. I saw him die. They put a spear in his side. Blood and water came out. I saw him die. That's not Jesus. Yeah, it is. That's really Jesus. He rose from the dead. That's him. How do you know? A woman told me. Do you really think that's the best way to write the story? No. See, embarrassing testimony. That is evidence that it's true. 
All right, so no effort to bury him. How about this? Joseph was from the Sanhedrin. They buried him in a Jewish tomb. They buried him in a Jewish tomb. Then they posted a Roman guard. So one of the things that they tried to say is, tell people that the guard fell asleep. What would happen to those Roman soldiers if they fell asleep on duty? They'd be put to death. They'd be put to death. And if they were asleep, why would you believe the testimony that his disciples took them? How do you know you were sleeping? Right? Embarrassing testimony. They were cowards. <laughs> What's amazing about the women being the heroes is that men wrote it. And if you understand that time, that would not have happened. Embarrassing details. Someone had said you know, that, that Mary was the first person to see the resurrected Jesus. Do you know why that? Why did God choose a woman? Because He wanted people to hear about it. <laughs> Come on, that's funny. That's funny. That's Frank Turek. You can blame it on him. All right. So embarrassing family, embarrassing testimony. How about this? How about embarrassing testimony about Jesus? His family thought he was crazy. Look at Mark chapter 3. This will blow some of your friends away. Jesus Christ's own family, verse 21, Mark chapter 3 and verse 21. When you cross-reference this to the other accounts of this, we, where it says friends, they were his friends, but that, that's also his family. And when his family heard of it, they went out to lay hold on him, for they said, he is beside himself. Jesus Christ's own family thought he was nuts. How about that? Is that what you would write about your hero? No. Embarrassing testimony. This is evidence for the accuracy, the truthfulness of the account. And not only... So we, we've looked at early and eyewitness and elaborate and embarrassing testimony. But this is, a, this is a really interesting one. How about excruciating testimony? Excruciating testimony. If you knew something was false, you would not die for it. I'm not saying if you believed something was false. Because you have people in Islam who are believing something that's false and they're willing to die for it. How many of you recognize that? They're believing something that's false and they're willing to die for it. If you knew something was false, you would not be willing to die for it. And all of the apostles were willing to. And that's the foundation of the Christian church. Then, so excruciating testimony. Then expected testimony. What is expected testimony? Expected testimony is prophecy in the Old Testament that you would expect to come true in the New Testament but there's no way that you could plan it. I don't have time to go through a bunch of it, but Isaiah 53 is all that you need to know. Go to Isaiah 52. Is the New Testament reliable? Isaiah 52. Look at verse 13. Behold, my servant shall deal prudently. He shall be exalted and extolled. And be very high. As many were astonished, astonished, astonied at thee, his visage, his visage, what he, his appearance, was so marred more than any man, and his form more than the sons of men. So shall he sprinkle many nations. The king shall shut their mouth. The kings shall shut their mouths at him, for that which hath not been told them, shall they see. And that which they had not heard, shall they consider. Who hath believed our report, and to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant, and as a root out of a dry ground. He hath no form nor comeliness, and when we shall see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he hath borne our griefs. And carried our sorrows, yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. He was wounded for our transgressions, he was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray, we have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed, and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. 
He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before her shearers is dumb, so he openeth not his mouth. He was taken from prison and from judgment. And who shall declare his generation? For he was cut off out of the land of the living. For the transgression of my people he was stricken. And he made his grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death, because he had done no violence, neither was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He hath put him to grief. When thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed, he shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper his hand. He shall see the travail, he shall see of the travail of his soul, and shall be satisfied. By his knowledge shall my righteous servant justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore will I divide a portion with the divide him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong. Because he hath poured out his soul unto death, and he was numbered with the transgressors, and he bare the sin of many, and made intercession for the transgressors. Do you see what happened? Jesus Christ, it describes his death. It describes it. Go to Isaiah chapter, or go to Psalm chapter 22. Expected testimony, Psalm 22. Verse 1, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Why art thou so far from helping me and from the words of my roaring? O my God, I cry in the daytime, but thou hearest not, and in the night season, and am not silent, but thou art holy. O thou that inhabitest the praises of Israel, our fathers trusted in thee, they trusted, and thou didst deliver them. They cried unto thee and were delivered. They trusted in thee and were not confounded. I am a worm and no man, a reproach of men and despised of the people. All they that see me laugh me to scorn. They shoot out the lip. They shake the head, saying, He trusted on the Lord that He would deliver him. Let him deliver him, seeing He delighted in him. Now, let me ask you a question. When all of that happened at the cross, do you think those people that were shooting out the lip, that were spitting at Him, that were saying, You say that you're the Son of God, come down off of the cross. Have Him deliver you. you say, do you think that they were quoting Scripture? Do you think that they were knew that they knew they were fulfilling Psalm 22? No, no, no. And we could go through many more details of this. L look at what it says in verse um, 20. Or look at verse 13. They they gaped upon me with their mouths as a ravening and roaring lion. I am poured out like water. What happened when the spear was uh, thrust in? Water and blood came out. All my bones are out of joint. That's what happens when a person is crucified. My heart is like wax. When blood and water comes out, doctors say that that's the heart bursting. It is melted in the midst of my bowels. My strength is dried up like a potsherd. My tongue cleaveth to my jaws. Thou hast brought me into the dust of death. He needed something to drink. Verse 16, For dogs have compassed me. The assembly of the wicked have enclosed me. They have pierced my hands and my feet. I may tell all my bones. His scourging revealed. It stripped the, bone, the, the skin right off his body. And they stare at me. They part my garments among them and cast lots for my vesture. Do you see all of those specific details that are prophesied in Psalm 22? This is very much expected testimony. If the New Testament is true, then you would expect what the... Old Testament prophesied to happen. There is no way to establish, there's no way to fake all of those details that happened. And here's the thing that's amazing about that Isaiah 53 passage. It was written 700 years before the event. And it's verified when the Dead Sea Scrolls were discovered, they found a scroll, I think it's 24 feet long. They found a scroll there of Isaiah. Before that time, the oldest copy of Isaiah that they had was 950 A.D. It was written 700 B.C. The oldest copy of it they had was 900 A.D. The, the, couple, the copy that they found in the, the tomb there in Qumran, or in the cave there in Qumran, the Dead Sea Scrolls, was from 100 B.C. And here's the amazing thing. It was almost identical to the one from 950. God had preserved His Word for more than a thousand years, and that prophecy prophesied exactly what Jesus Christ would go through expected testimony. And there are hundreds, there are hundreds of Old Testament prophecies that were fulfilled in Jesus Christ. And of course, the chances are astronomical of those being fulfilled in one person. Expected testimony. And then extra biblical testimony. There are, there are more than 10 
extra biblical, that is not Bible writers, not even Christians, writers within 150 years of the life of Jesus Christ that verify the specific details identified in Scripture. This is extra biblical testimony. The New Testament is reliable. The New Testament is reliable. But this leads me to my conclusion that's every Baptist's favorite word. All right? When I was in Bible college, one of the a student in a class asked the teacher, have you heard about the new Reader's Digest condensed version of the Bible? How many of you remember when that came out years ago? A Reader's Digest condensed version of the Bible. I said, what do you think of it? And the teacher was kind of mean that day. He said, well, the shortest Bible I know is the one that you live. How many of you think that's mean? I thought it was awesome because he wasn't saying it to me. Um, it's interesting that, te- that teacher's in prison for 110 years for just being a horrible person. Um, but that statement is interesting. If someone had to verify the truthfulness of the New Testament by my life, what would they believe? You see, the accuracy of the New Testament is not really the question. The question is, the lives of those who claim to believe it. Now, how many of you, honestly, your life has been changed by the Lord Jesus Christ? Would you raise your hands? Amen. And I want to ask you to raise your hand here. I would put mine up. I know that often my life has not matched my profession. That doesn't mean that I don't believe my profession. It means that I'm human, right? And if I, if I am not walking in the Spirit, as the Bible tells us, then I'm going to fulfill the lust of the flesh. And when I fulfill the lust of the flesh, what I do is I actually verify the truth of Scripture that says there's none righteous, no, not one. I verify the truth of Scripture that says if any man says he has no sin, he's a liar and the truth is not in him. But I'm so glad the Bible also says if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I, I think it was Gandhi who said, I would be a Christian if not for Christians. Gandhi also liked to sleep naked with his 11-year-old niece, okay, just to demonstrate his purity. He was, a, he was a perverted man. So him judging Christians is kind of laughable. Amen? Yeah, that, those are the stories you don't hear in popular culture. Um, but he really does have a valid point, doesn't he? I am ashamed to say that in the 19 years that I've lived in Sydney, there have been times where I have not represented Christ well in the community. I would imagine that most of us would say the same thing. Not about me, I hope, but about ourselves. <laughs> the Bible claims to be pure, preserved, precious, permanent, all of those things. The reliability of the Testament based on early testimony, eyewitness testimony, elaborate testimony, embarrassing testimony, um, all, all of those things, the Bible is accurate. There's no, there's no doubt that the Bible is that the New Testament is reliable. I know you might be thinking, why, do you say, why aren't you talking about the Old Testament? Because if the New Testament is reliable, then you get the Old Testament thrown in because the, G, the New Testament claims the Old Testament is reliable. Okay? And so, if all of that is true, then shouldn't I, as a believer, a person who's placed his faith and trust in Jesus Christ, shouldn't my life align with the New Testament? How many of you think that's true? Jesus, the Bible says it this way. You say you believe in Him, then walk even as He walked. Is that fair? You say, how many of you believe in Jesus Christ? How many of you believe in Jesus Christ? Then here's my sermon to you today. Then walk even as He walked. You can't do that in your flesh. You can only do that as you walk in the Spirit. Ephesians 2, verse 2, And ye hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins. And then he says later in the chapter, it's a, don't walk, in, in chapter 4, don't walk as the Gentiles do in the vanity of their mind. Don't do that. Don't walk as other men. Don't do that. You need to walk in the knowledge of Jesus Christ. And where does that knowledge of Jesus Christ come from? It comes from the Word of God. The reason that we as Christians live more like the world than like Christ is because we are simply unfamiliar with His Word. My uh, pastor friend, counselor, Brother Willette, he says nearness is likeness. 
what you're near to the most, that's what you're going to behave like. Isn't that right? And you can tell, girls, you can tell that they're around other girls because they've been talking like this. It's amazing. I would say it was amazing. Now, I'm not sure how you get an E sound out of an A, right? Amazing. I would even settle for amazing. I would even settle for that. Amazing. You only get amazing because girls are together and they listen to each other and they talk like each other. Right? Or they end up on the end and I'm going to go, I'm going to go to the store and I'm going to get something. I get some new, I've got this new haircut. Right? That, people don't do that naturally. You've got to be around other people that talk like that to begin talking like that. Is that fair? Y'all with me? Okay, all you young girls, don't be mad. It's just true. The reason that we behave more like the world is our interaction. The word for the, the, the Bible word is our conversation. Our daily walk is more in the world than it is in the word. Folks, we need to purify our minds. We need to purify our minds. Amen? Let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus. The Bible says that, that living for Him, it's our reasonable service. And be not conformed to what? This world. But be transformed by what? The renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. That has to be a process of the will and a process of the word. Wouldn't it be sad if the shortest Bible was the Bible that you lived? Wouldn't that be sad if that was said? I've told you the story before. I got into a fight when I was in high school, and I'd been given the gospel to an atheist. And this atheist, after my fight, and I even lost. That's the bad part. He said to me, if I ever do become a Christian, I hope I'm not like you. What happened? My life didn't match what I was professing to Steve Roth. And sad to say, even when it hasn't been said to me, I'm sure that has happened again since then. By the will of God, I hope it never happens again. How, what is the only thing that's going to keep that from happening? I mean, walking in the Spirit through the knowledge of Jesus Christ, through the Word of God. Amen? You see, it doesn't matter if the Bible's reliable if Christians don't live it. Would, would you all agree with that? It doesn't matter if the Bible's reliable if Christians don't live it. We need to live it because it is reliable. And it has claimed truth for itself. That truth has been proven. And you know what I love? Man, the Bible's changed my life. I'm not where I need to be, but I'm not what I was. Amen? And I think that we can all say that, I hope. But if you're here today and you're not saved, you've not placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone, the truth of the Bible will come home to you when you are judged by its words at the last day. It's true. The Bible is true. And what it says about me, what it says about you is true. What it says we need is Jesus Christ. And the good news is Jesus Christ came and offered Himself to us. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank You so much for Your Word.